Okay, everybody, welcome into the Irish NFL show. Happy Sunday, seven Sundays to go until we're watching Red Zone. And one guy that we used to enjoy watching in Red Zone won me a fantasy championship, in fact, one year. Tight end, uh, Gary Barnage. Gary, welcome to the Irish NFL show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Gary, we ask everybody, especially anybody stateside uh, player or not, have you any Irish heritage? Have you ever been to Ireland before? I have been to Ireland, and I do have Irish heritage. My... Uh... My aunt did all the family tree, so we do have family. We were actually related to the Reagans uh, through marriage and through some other way, too. So we do have Irish heritage. And then also, uh, I've been to Ireland. I've been to uh, Dublin. Well, uh, you're, you're welcome back uh, to Dublin whenever uh, you want, Gary. You've got uh, definitely people who will uh, do a, a pub crawl with you. I can hit the Guinness factory with a stone if I throw it from my uh, apartment. Uh, and uh, Michael, it is true what he said. Uh, I still remember when you won him that uh, fantasy championship. I got a few <laughs> points off of it. So thanks for that. But um, look at, at this, I suppose we're, we're getting, you know, training camp is you know going to be starting you know this week uh for for many teams um taking you back to you know your you, you enter with the the panthers draft you thinking about you know coming into the league and, and what it was like as a rookie to go through that first training camp getting ready for the season and and maybe thinking back to your time with the panthers obviously you made your your name initially on special teams can you talk to us a little bit about um that time that uh, especially the initial period with the panthers yeah, honestly, when I got drafted by Carolina, I actually grew up a Panthers fan. So my parents grew up Jaguar fans, and I can't go with what my parents like, so I went against them with the Panthers. So that was a cool cool thing. And then also, I tried to model my game in high school as a DN after Julius Peppers. So knowing that I got drafted, I got to play with Julius Peppers, who somebody who I idolized growing up, was an amazing thing. And then I learned so much from him doing it. And then, like, I think when I got drafted there, I showed up, and I actually saw Julius Peppers working out and he had like 500 and something pounds on the squat bar and he was doing it like it was 150. And I'm like, I'm supposed to block this guy. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But I think the biggest thing for me is like training camp. It was hard, but it's not like it was outrageously hard because Bobby Petrino in college, he really prepared us for that. He put us through hard stuff in college to prepare us for the NFL. So I didn't think that was the hard, the hard part. I think the, the thing for me that I really tried to take out of it was like they had drafted a tight end the year before and the year before that. So there was two other young guys there as well. And I knew I probably wouldn't get an opportunity to play tight end as much to start. So I've always played special teams, even in college and in high school. So I knew that was where I was going to have to try to shine to make sure I got on the field. Cause that's one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to play. I didn't want it to sit and wait. Didn't want it to go on practice squad. Nothing like that. I wanted to be able to play. And I've really carved myself a niche playing special teams. And that really allowed me to play more tight end as I got more into the, in the NFL. Gary, we, we've been forced to interview some players who've had uh, ties with Coach Rivera and haven't played with him in Carolina. Just your overall experience playing under him. Uh, amazing guy. Because he, he played. He knows what to expect. He knows what it all is. And I think that's such a different thing that people don't take into account. When you have somebody that's played the sport and played at the level he's played and done what he's been able to do, that's a whole different mindset he brings to coaching because he's been through it. He knows what the players are going through. He knows it. And I think it's easier for him to – to deal with the players and the players understand him more because they've all been through the same thing versus you get somebody who's never done it before, never really played. They're just a coach. Players can't relate to that. They can only relate to what they've done and what they know. So it's harder for that. So I think it's easier for guys that play for former players because you can get on a safe wavelength. And Rivera was an amazing guy. He was always for his players. He had their back and he'd do anything he could for you. Um, Gary, then obviously you you when you're in Carolina, it was owned by Jerry Richardson, the only owner who previously played uh, American football. You're playing for Ron Rivera, as you said, you used to play American football, uh, and then or in the NFL, sorry, and then you go to the Browns. And I mean, you know, uh, named obviously after Paul Brown, the history there. But that's really look as you know, as fans of the game, where you got noticed by more fans, I suppose, because your career blossomed. You made the Pro Bowl in 2015. You won Michael Fancy Football Tournament. You tied Ozzy Newsom's franchise record for the the Browns in terms of touchdowns for a tight end. I'm not sure which of those were the greatest achievement. Probably Michael's Fancy Football Team, obviously. <laughs> but what did playing for the Browns and that fan base and that experience mean to you back then? 
I think it was awesome because it was an opportunity for me to get to show what I could do. Because in Carolina, we had, I had Greg Olson. So I knew I was never going to get a true opportunity to play and start. So that's one thing I wanted to do, obviously. You always want to start. So Chazinski was my coach, the offense coordinator at Carolina. And then he went and took the head coaching job at Cleveland. So he basically, hey, what? I want to make you what Greg Olson did, which is fine. I believed all that stuff, which never believe a coach when they tell you anything. But uh, it was going to another place. I don't only know Carolina, but going to Cleveland and you finding out the fan base they have and you're learning so much more about it and you want to turn them around. You want to help that team become a winner because they deserve it. They lost their team. They had to get their team back. And they've just been always the butt of the joke. And it, I think this was an opportunity I wanted to try and go and show we could do that. And then I went to to Cleveland and I wasn't given the opportunity. And I, so at first I was behind Jordan Cameron. I was the second guy there. I did all the blocking, but again, I took the most of it. Like I, all I did was block. So I made sure I was the best blocking tight end in the NFL. At that point I had, I think I passed block 50 more times than any other tight end in the NFL. And I gave up one pressure the whole season. And so I tried to model my game, whatever I had to do, I was going to do to be on the field. And I really wanted to do that. And then Jordan Cameron got a concussion the following year. So I actually got to play a little bit. We had a new head coach. Uh, and then uh, so I got to do a little bit there and showed I could make plays and all that stuff. Made a couple plays on fourth down and third down to secure wins and get games to where we have a chance to win. And then they finally let Jordan walk. Jordan went to Miami, got paid, loved Jordan. He's awesome. And then I finally got an opportunity to start. And I think that's where everybody saw I got to go to the Pro Bowl. And I think that's the biggest thing is like people just they they think it, oh, this player just came out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of players do that. It's just it's opportunities. The NFL is all about getting the right opportunity at the right time. Cause you could there's a lot of guys I guarantee that have never given an opportunity that if they were given the opportunity, they could succeed. They just weren't in the right place for it. And I fortunately got one year to actually do it. And then the second year we had another new coach. So my third coach in 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 four years. And that was my last season I got to play because he wanted to go a new route with the tight end, which is, that's what, that's the nature of the business. And it's just crazy. And I enjoyed my time with Cleveland. It was a, a blast. The fans are amazing because I had started something in Carolina where I started taking fans to the movies and it really took off in Cleveland. The fans really enjoyed that getting to spend time with the players, meeting some of the players and asking questions that they might not get to because I felt it's truly important to give back to the fans. I love, I love the sound of that. I'm actually going to take you back very quickly to your time in Carolina. You missed the 2011 season through injury and suffered in preseason. Mentally, what was that like? For, you know, Because that, that time involved from the end of the 2010 season to the 2012 season, you obviously get your first professional touchdown then. Did you find that very difficult at the time or was it more just about the whole recovery process? Uh, I definitely think it was because I dislocated my ankle and it happened right the day after we finished training camp. So I went through training camp and that was right after the, the lockout. So it was just me was really the only person that was me and uh, Jeremy Shockey were the only two practicing because we had traded for Greg Olson and they had, weren't able to use him because of the lockout stuff. So he wasn't able to practice. So it was literally two guys doing every rep for the team. And, you know, Jeremy Shockey, he's a vet. Well, he's not doing every rep. So, you know, who has to? I do. So I was really taking advantage of it. I was trying to do my best, make sure everything. And I think one thing that Rivera told me afterwards, once I got hurt, he came up to the hospital, saw me. He said, I just want to let you know our plan was to keep you on the team. You were going to make the team. And I think that meant a lot. But I, cause I was going to my contract year. And then they reached out while I was hurt and wanted to sign me to an extension to give me one more year. So I think that was huge. And I think that was something that I will always remember for Rivera for visiting me there and letting me know that information because he didn't have to do that. Gary, um, one of the things interested in, in hearing a little bit more about is um, you're not um, you're not for profit, the American football uh, without barriers. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started me and two of my other buddies from college started American Football Without Barriers almost 11 years ago now. And uh, we go overseas, do free football camps for kids, visit schools, orphanages, hospitals, give back. And then we just want to give kids the opportunity in other countries to play a sport that we love to play and teach them the proper way to do it, how to take care of your body, all that kind of stuff. 
And we also don't do it just for men. It's also for women as well. We do women's camps where we integrate the women with the men competing because everybody can play the sport if they want to play. And all over, people don't understand that all over the world, there's women's leagues, there's men's leagues that are playing these sports and love it. And it just doesn't get the publicity that it deserves because there's so many people that want to, to play the sport. And we really want to get kids this opportunity to eventually give kids an opportunity to get a scholarship to play in the U S because let's be honest, college football doesn't recruit internationally. They do for basketball, baseball, but they don't for football. We want to change that. We want to make that a change and give all these kids. Cause there's so much talent out there in the world that aren't getting that opportunity. And we're trying to do that. Gary, when you reflect on your career, is there any, Tins of regret that it didn't play out. I suppose when you start so early in, the, in your career and you make the playoffs and you're part of a winning team, then you're involved in the, the game, which Jake Plummer chose the six interceptions. Do you think this is great? I've made the playoffs and it's going to play out like that going forward, but it wasn't to be thereafter. Uh, you would hope it's going to play out like that. But again, NFL is crazy. You never know what's going to happen year to year. Regrets, honestly, probably not. I think if anything, it would just. The thing is, you just never know because, like, I can say, oh, I wish I would have went to a different team, but there's no idea if I would have got an opportunity to play there. That's the thing is you, you really can't have regrets. All you can do is go out there and do your best and do everything you can to get on the field. And that's why I tried to do what I did in Carolina on special teams. I led the team in tackles one year as a special teams guy just because I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to contribute, and I wanted to show I can play this sport. And then I, once I just keep playing tight end, keep doing what I got to do until I finally got my opportunity, and you took advantage of that opportunity. Um, we've, we've been fortunate enough, Gary, to interview Steve Tasker um, amongst various other players, obviously made the name on special teams initially. So, you know, fully appreciate the, the role and the, the, the quality you brought on this, that side of the thing, as well as obviously the touchdowns and receptions. I'm interested in your views as well, Gary, on like some of your past franchises and how they're going to now. I mean, the Browns seem to be close to your heart in many respects as well saw recently your comments last year to Austin Hooper when he was joining the, the Browns and you're, you were super complimentary about how passionate the dog pound is, how passionate and how welcome he's going to be by Browns fans. And I did look back and I think you did an AMA about three, four years ago, maybe a bit longer. And you said out, Hey, we can turn the Browns around. You just need to do A, B, C, D, E, and F. We and did like none Jimmy of them. Haslam, obviously, <laughs> well, they did it for a while, but now in the last couple of years, they followed a few bits, and it's like Jimmy Haslam finally read it and figured out what to do. I mean, what are your thoughts on obviously the fantastic story last year and the, the hopes for the Browns, obviously, going into this season? I think it's amazing. I'm pretty sure I said last year I didn't want people to get over overzealous and think too much. Oh, think we're going to be Super Bowl because that was the hype with them for last year. And you have to tame that because it was a new coach, new system. Everybody was coming back from COVID. So there was no training camp, all that kind of stuff. It's a different atmosphere. So I, I wanted people to tamper their, their thoughts, what was going to happen. And they still succeeded. They did well, which was great, which just shows that they can do that again this year. The only thing you're going to run into this year now is you're a year in your system. Now teams are going to be game planning your system. They're going to know what you're going to do because last year they didn't. They didn't know what was going to happen. Now they do. And that's how it changes from year to year. You always got to reinvent uh, your offense and change things away and move things around because you can't just do the same thing over and over because the defense is eventually going to shut it down. But I think they're doing the right things. They're making the right moves. I think they're, they're heading in the right direction. I think they have an opportunity to definitely win their division. It's going to be tough because obviously Baltimore is always going to be good. Pittsburgh, you never can count them out. And Bengals, they look young and ready. So you, it's a great division to be in. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a dogfight. And that's that's something the dog pound loves. And I think the fans really are behind the players. And I think that's huge. And that's what you want. It's going to be great to watch. We're going to try and get one quick question in each year. Gary, uh, I mentioned very briefly the fantasy football at the start. But for you, that real season, 2015, over a thousand um, in that sense. Did you have people approaching you on the street going, I picked you last week? Or uh, was there any situation where, where, where it got like that? Or do you even play a fantasy yourself? Because you hear players that are sick of it or love it. So, what was your thoughts that year, especially when that, that position, it's hard to get a tight end as well? Yeah, so I, I do play. I don't play like crazy, but I have played fantasy. I do play. I still play. But like because I played 
in the NFL, like I don't treat it the same way everybody else does. Like I don't get mad at the players if they don't put up stats because there's more that go into why they didn't put up stats. And most people aren't watching those games to know why they didn't. And yeah, I had a great year, but a lot of people didn't draft me because they didn't know who I was going to be. And preseason, I dropped a pass that hit me right in the chest from Johnny Manziel. And everybody's like, oh, he's terrible. We need to get him out of here. I'm tired of this stuff. And then I went on to be in the Pro Bowl. So the thing is, you just never know. And that, that's, that's the fun, that's the interesting part about NFL. Things can change all the time and you just got to see how things play out. And like I had experiences in uh, 2016 where everybody was super mad at me. They're like, oh, you, I drafted you, wasted my pick. I got, you only had no catches, but they didn't watch the game. And I had one target the whole game. That's not something I could control. And that's what, that's the, I think that's the thing that players don't like about fantasy football is now fans don't pay attention to the games. They only look at your stats. And if you didn't put the stats they want, they're mad at you. They're cussing you out and you have to deal with that. But there could be a reason why you never got the ball thrown to you, especially a receiver. You're, you're hindered upon blocking and the ball being thrown your way. You can't control anything else. And people don't want to take that into account. So I think that's one thing that people get super mad at players. And like, for me, I don't care. I understand what you've going through. I don't worry about, obviously I'd like my guys to do better, but I know it doesn't happen. Absolutely. And uh, we can see, Gary, that uh, you got quite the uh, the sweet audio set up there. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the Cinnamon and Sugar podcast? Yeah, so me and uh, D'Angelo Williams, who I play with in Carolina, uh, we've had a great friendship for, I'm going to say, going on 15 years now. We actually met in college. We played against the other in college when he was at Memphis and I was at Louisville. And now we have a podcast, Cinnamon and Sugar. We're on everything. We now post our videos on YouTube as well, which... I think people love because now they can see our interactions with each other, how we react to each other. It's been a lot of fun because we just talk about any and everything. It's not just sports. We've talked about sports. We talk about current events. We talk about our, what we did on the weekend. That's just our normal thing. What did we do this weekend? And just give you who we are and have fun with it. We have guests on. It's just a fun little thing and we're having a good time with it. Gary, last year, I suppose a lot of people felt that the Browns were dark horses for the season. And I suppose 12 months on, they're probably the expectations, as you said, are higher. Who's the dark horse for you this season, whether it's in the AFC or the NFC? Uh, honestly, I really like I like I like Justin Herbert. So I would say the Chargers. I, I think I, I think Justin Herbert is the real deal. I think Burrow is the real deal. I think they're both the real deal. Lawrence, I like. I don't know if Jaguars are going to have the ability to do that this year. I think they're years a couple years away. But I definitely I'm liking the Chargers. I, I know they made a new coach. It's going to be tough because you have to learn everything. But I thought they did well last year, and they had a lot of injuries. If they can stay healthy, they have a good team. Yeah, and, so, and some great moves in free agents. You want the Chargers as well, as well as the draft, obviously. So uh, great pick there, Gary. Uh, we have two Broncos fans on this pod, so uh, they're not going to be happy with that. But, <laughs> hey, can't please everyone. Gary, I, I want to finish with a question and maybe it's a bit personal but I'm just fascinated that's a good question I remember back and I remember back (laughs) I remember back when we uh, you were actually released by the Browns and you alluded to it that you know they went in a different direction they released you and I remember the buzz at the time was very simple it's like hey you know uh, he'll pick up another gig no problem and I you know I I remember at the time thinking even it's like please yeah he could definitely play a role on the Patriots, you know, great blocking tight ends, you know, proves the, the you know, uh, capability in the receiving game. But you didn't, you didn't latch on with another team. You didn't try, you know, you didn't um, go to any other team and try to make the, the great there. I'm just curious. I mean, you know, it wasn't for want of options, I'm sure. So why, what was the big uh, measure for you after 10 years in the NFL? that you said, no, nope, I've had enough. Yeah, so honestly, when I started in NFL in college, I said if I ever made the NFL, I always only want to play 10 years. If I ever hit 10 years, I was done. I was walking away no matter what. So I played in nine. So if I would have got 10, it would have been my last year no matter what, whether I signed a two-year, three-year, or whatever. If I would have still been with the Browns, I would have retired after my 10th season. That was my goal, and I planned on doing that. But when they released me, they still owed me money. Like, I was still owed money. So they're going to pay me no matter what, whether I play or not. So I went and visited other teams and I had talked to other teams. And then, so we had talk conversation about contracts and stuff like that. And they're like, Oh, we'll give you X amount of money. Well, it was only like a hundred or $200,000 more than what I was getting paid to sit at home. 
So I'm like, well, I can risk getting injured, risk getting a concussion, get, risk all this stuff for nothing, basically nothing extra. Or I can sit at home, rest my body and enjoy life. So that's where it came down to. And like, and I talked to team, I'm like, well, you're only one to offer this amount of money, but you're, you're, you want me to be a second fiddle to this guy who's never put up anything that I've done. So in every player, every team was like, oh, your age, your age. But I had saw Delaney Walker. I had saw Jason Witten. I had seen Greg Olson, all signed big extensions who are the same age or older than me for big money. But I had put up better numbers at times. So like, I didn't understand their rationale. It felt like they were just trying to get me for a cheap amount and thought I was just going to take it. And I don't, I didn't need football. I could walk away from football and I was completely content. And that was the thing I think that they did not like that. I took the power away from them and said, you're either going to meet this dollar amount or I won't play. Cause I don't care to play. And I think that's one thing they didn't like because I took away their power and I put it in myself. And I was like, I'm content. If y'all don't want to sign me for what I want, I'm good. I'll walk away. And that's what happened. They didn't want to sign me for what I, I thought I deserved and what I proved I deserved. And I decided, hey, I'm good. I'll sit at home and take the money the Browns owe me. Yes, sir. Well, guy, I think for fans in Ireland, the UK and Europe, they call this generation like the second generation of NFL fan after NFL Europe. Very fondly remember for your career as well. And at Gary Barnage on Twitter. Um, guy, it's been a pleasure having you on. You're welcome on any time. And I hope you enjoy the season, rest up, and uh, the very best luck in your future endeavors with your podcast as well. Thank you very much for coming on, man. Thank you all very much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, everybody, our next guest on the Irish NFL show uh, is a guest. First time on the show from Denver 7, big Broncos reporter over in the Mile High City. Troy Rank. Troy, welcome on. First time on the Irish NFL show. Thanks for having me, guys. I love your work. Uh, it's an honor to be included on this show. Thanks a million. Uh, Troy, um, I have to ask you, I'm sorry, but have you any Irish heritage yourself? I don't believe so. I'm not, I don't do the genealogy thing. I, I know I have German heritage based on my last name, uh, but my mom has been to Ireland, loved it. Uh, one of my good friends has been to Ireland, loved it. I'm hoping to get over there someday when my youngest gets out of college here in two years or so, we're going to plan to go to Europe. Well, uh, you've uh, a few tour guides waiting for you, Troy, when, uh, when you do get over. Um, I suppose before we kind of delve into the on-field stuff for, for the Broncos, a couple of big developments off-field in terms of the ownership situation in the last few weeks with the, the lawsuit being dismissed. Um, for our viewers, can you talk to us a little bit about what you think, you know, might play out from here? Who, who, is, who is, is ownership going to change? Are we going to see a new owner for the, the Broncos within the next year to 18 months? Yeah, I do think we'll have clarity one way or the other. I mean, basically, when the lawsuit was vacated and then ultimately dismissed, it, to me, based on what my sources are saying, it says the fight's over. You know, Beth Bowen-Wallace and Amy Clemmer were fighting to basically invalidate the trust of amendments that were made by their late father at a time they felt like he was either incapacitated or not capable of signing these documents. And now they're not going to have this trial. And it, that is a good thing for Broncos fans. But I think the dirty laundry of that trial would be really unfortunate and ugly. And I know the NFL is pleased that it's not going to trial. But what it says is two things. Either there's an agreement to sell, and that's why the, both sides have dismissed, the fight's over, and they're going to sell uh, because the siblings cannot agree on one sibling representing them. You know, the, the trust could choose one without them agreeing, but the NFL is not going to go for that. In the eyes of the league, there has to be one voice, one clear leader, not one and, you know, two or three siblings fighting for control or trying to get back in court. The other, so there's the option of that where uh, there's the one option is they sell the team and they cash out all of them and le move on. The second option would be they buy out perhaps Amy Clemmer and Beth Bowen Wallace by bringing on new investors. They don't have, you know, 450 million laying around for each of them. So you'd have to bring on a huge investor or two. Maybe they would want to be a minority investor. That's a crazy amount of money to bring in, but the NFL is this rare coin, if you will, for the rich of the rich. So what would make sense mathematically to some of us and financially doesn't really matter to someone that's that, that's that rich because the NFL is just a cash cow. Ultimately, I'm sure they feel like they would get a return on their investment. So maybe they buy them out. 
They buy those two out. And then you bring in someone like a Peyton Manning to take on a president's role. Um, I wish I had the easy answer. I do believe that Peyton Manning, if the team's for sale, he will try very hard to put together an ownership group. It wouldn't be fronted by his money, but he would be the guy like Derek Jeter is with the Marlins, be that front man. Uh, and I also think that John Elway might take a stab at that. He might not. I know a couple of years ago he was willing to do that. He might not now, given his age and wanting to be truly retired. But Jeff Bezos of Amazon, there, there's a number, there's at least four to five people that would be interested. But obviously, locally, if they're going to sell, or even if they Brittany Bowen becomes the owner. People here really want Peyton Manning involved. They feel like that could help get this team back on track. Troy, as, as a fan of a team outside of the AFC West, I look at the AFC West going into this season with two very intriguing storylines. One, the Chiefs, if this new offensive line will work. And second of all, the quarterback situation in Denver, Teddy versus Drew. Who's, who's going to win out in the end? And I suppose training camp will be a clear indication of that. But your, your initial thoughts on how you think it will progress? Yeah, Teddy two gloves and Drew one sleeve. Um, you know, it's just such a fascinating storyline because people in Denver still have one wandering eye on Aaron Rodgers, hoping probably against hope that he would somehow still end up here. I have said this, Colin and I talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I would give Drew, uh, excuse me, Teddy the slight edge in this battle because of the fact Vic Fangio is 0-7 in September. He cannot afford another poor start or he's going to be fired because the back half of their schedule, they're not going to be making up a bunch of wins against the Chargers, against the Chiefs, even at Vegas. That's a tough game for them. So they need to start two and one or three and oh, and there's going to be a sense of urgency to that. And I, I believe their offensive identity, rather than us sitting here saying the quarterback's got to be better, he's got to be better. I think privately they're going to say we're going to run the ball and be like the Browns run the ball so our quarterback doesn't have to be great. He can just work off play action. He can benefit from a strong running game. So all of that said, I give Teddy a slight edge as a game manager. I've said this, Drew has a much higher ceiling than Teddy for me. Teddy has a much higher floor. And early in the season, I could see Teddy having an advantage in the competition ever so slightly. Because if Drew was the incumbent, he would have been declared that. That was what told me that Teddy clearly has a path to this job because it's not Teddy doesn't have to beat out Drew. They're starting on even ground. So I could see Teddy playing the first four or five weeks. And then if he struggles against the Ravens and against at Pittsburgh, maybe Drew comes in then. I think both are going to play this year. And I think they're going to try to win with the run game. But I give Teddy the slight edge. I'm not saying he's won it. But the one that takes care of the ball in training camp is going to win the job for me because they know they have to go two and one, the very least, against the Giants, Jaguars, and Jets to open the season. Vic Fangio, do you think it's his last chance in Denver this season just based upon the performances over the last couple of years? And what do you think would be the minimum expectation that would keep him there next year? I think winning season, uh, nine and eight with a 17-game season. How they get to nine and eight, I think, could be important to him. I mean, if, he, if they're nine and five and lose out, and go nine and eight. I don't, I don't know if he survives that, but again, he hasn't been over 500 for one game in two years for one week. I mean, he started zero and seven these September's. So he's got off to get up to a good start and they need to be competitive. They need to be playing meaningful games in December. So what do I think he needs nine and eight? I think the, the number to shoot for if they sneak in the playoffs at 10 and seven, obviously he'd be safe. But I don't think he can survive eight and nine, especially if they lose like their, two of their last three games. I don't know if he can survive that. Most, if you look historically the last 20 years, not many first-time head coaches survive three straight losing seasons to start their career. I mean, it's just, I don't know that I've found an example, frankly. So I think he has to win nine games. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for, as a Broncos fan, they can return to winning ways. And if they are to do that, Troy, they're going to have to lean heavily on that defense. Now, the, the secondary, I mean, Denver is famous for Steve Atwater, Champ Bailey, John Lynch and, and, and various others. Interested in your take on, on just how good this defense can be? Yeah, it has a chance to be special. Uh, top 10 for sure. To, to be top five, they have to get takeaways. The first two years under Fangio, they have 33 takeaways. They had 33 in his last season in Chicago. 
that's how you get remembered is big plays, impact plays. And until they do that, they can't be a great defense, but they need their offense to be functional. You can't get takeaways if your offense is trailing constantly. They're one in 15 when trailing at halftime under Vic Fangio. And what happens is you guys watch the games. It's, you know, two minutes to go in the third quarter. They're losing 20 to 10. The other team's on, you know, third and eight on its own 23-yard line. They're not putting their passer at risk. Von Miller can't make a play. There's no play for Chubb to make. They're going to do a check down or they're going to just do an easy handoff and say, we're going to punt and dare you to go 80 yards. So they have a great secondary on paper. They have a healthy Bradley Chubb. I talked to Chubb last week. He says he should be good to go. He might be limited in camp, but he should be fine with that ankle on the opener. So a healthy Chubb, a healthy Von Miller, Malik Reed, and you have a great secondary. They should get takeaways, but they need their offense to keep it to a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. Then we will see the best of Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. Then we will see a great defense. If they're constantly trailing, we'll see a good defense without takeaways, and you can't be great without takeaways. Troy, can I ask your thoughts on the, the division as a whole? I mean, the Chiefs aren't going away. You expect them to come back far and again, looking to go back to the Super Bowl. And a lot of people watch the off season. They're kind of discussing the charges of potentially finally kind of getting over the hurdle and, you know, in terms of losing those kind of close games and potentially with Herbert there that they could push on and make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem when you look at the Broncos. How do they make a move in a division where they have the fourth best quarterback? And most recently, the Bears did it to your guys' point. Like, how could they, what's the path? Bears did it with Trubisky last year. Trubisky and Nick Foles, who I think retired two years ago and forgot to tell anyone. But Trubisky was not very good. And they made the playoffs with the fourth best quarterback in their division. It's hard to do that uh, because people, you know, they, they want to hate on Derek Carr. He had 27 touchdowns and nine picks last year. Bronco fans would give a limb up for those stats from their quarterback at this point. Um, when you look at uh, the Chargers, I was wrong on Justin Herbert. I watched a lot of his games in the Pac-12, and his own coach didn't trust him. They ran the football, and then finally against Arizona State in the Rose Bowl, he was the best player on the field, but I'm like, yeah, it's going to take him a while in the NFL. I was dead wrong. Chris Harris told me that in training camp last year. He texted me. He's like, oh, my word, this guy, he's unbelievable. That's a problem for the Broncos. If the Chargers are healthy and their special teams aren't a dumpster fire, they're going to be hard to beat. You know, That's where the team you could see winning 10 games or 11 games. So that's what puts the Broncos at that number around eight or nine. But Patrick Mahomes has to adjust to new offensive line. I think they're going to lose a few games early because of it, but I don't see them be anything worse than 12 and five. And then that's if the Broncos are a surprise team, they have to be better than the Chargers. I don't know if they can. Could they still get to nine and eight? They could because their home schedule is a joke. I mean, there's just a bunch of cupcakes, but all these teams that play the Broncos now think they're a pastry as well because they've been terrible for four years. But the Broncos have a path to the playoffs, but they have got to get functional quarterback play in a division that now has Mahomes and Justin Herbert, who is could by the end of this year, I think we're all going to talk about him as a, easily a top 10 quarterback in the league. Absolutely. Uh, at Troy Rank on Twitter, I recommend anybody in Ireland or the UK follows the NFL, wants to get more to Broncos and NC West, follow Troy on Twitter. Troy, before we let you go, one big answer, uh, Dove Valley, Aaron Rodgers in the next month, yes or no? No, I think they're going to, the Packers will keep him. They'll keep the, they'll stay together, the marriage for the kids, and then they're going to get a divorce this offseason. Troy, thanks so much for your time, man, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you guys for your patience today. Sorry I got caught up in a meeting. You guys do great work. Look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon down the road. Okay, folks, our final guest on this week's Irish NFL show. Delighted to welcome in a former running back in the NFL, former Patriot, former Charger, to name a few. Delighted to welcome Danny Woodhead to the show. Danny, welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time as well, Donnie. Seven weeks to, to, to the NFL season, but a lot of fans over here would, would really remember you playing in the NFL as well recently. Uh, have you ever been to Ireland before? Have you any Irish heritage yourself? Or? No, I have not. You know, the I, I had the opportunity this year, but just with everything going on, I decided not to. Uh, here come in August, Nebraska plays, I think, Illinois. And... 
I, I think it's over there, isn't it? In Dublin or something. And they, they have their first game of the year in Ireland. And I had the opportunity to go and I was just like, you know, I'll wait. But I want to get there for a different reason. I want to play some golf out there. That's yeah. my goal. <laughs> we we have we have some serious courses, uh, Danny. I think uh, Nebraska are actually that game got pushed. So next oh, August, it? so Gosh. you should start planning now, and that way next summer you can come over, play some golf, take it, taking it, taking well, it. You know, game. you know what's funny is I thought they said it was canceled and then redone. So I'm I'm reading the wrong stuff. Well, that's good then. I can wait till next. Definitely week. come over. Thought we'll hundred yeah, percent come well, over. You've got you've got tour guides. Well, the the courses will give you the recommendations, all of that stuff. But um, as Michael was saying, like we, you know, fo- football's coming up. Rookies actually reporting to to training camp uh, as we're recording this today. Interested to take you back. Yeah, you know, you 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 sign for the Jets. You you go to, to training camp. There's all that that buzz that that you know that I suppose that being on top after signing a contract. Then you have suffer a major injury that wipes out your entire rookie year. Can you talk to us? I suppose about like what that that was like, and in terms of the mental fortitude that you showed to to come back for, from that. You know, you you all of the the build up and it's taken away, but then you, you to get back into the the league and what that was like for you, Danny. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, uh, it was a real, I'd say a really difficult time. I mean, I, I came from a small school, <clears throat> felt like I was getting a chance, um, was having a really good camp. And then, you know, it feels like everything just went in shambles. You know, I tear my ACL, my left ACL. And it was like, what the heck's going on? And, and I remember calling my wife who I had been married to for a week and a half or two weeks. I mean, like, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And uh, I'm a very faith-based, faith-based person, and I was, I don't know, I was praying or something, and I felt like God was saying, no, uh, you're still going to play, just like, obviously not this year, you have a torn ACL, but I, I felt like it was just my job to go to work and, and do everything I could to rehab, you know, as as hard as I could and get back as soon as I could, and next thing you know, I... Um, I guess had a 10 year career. So like, it was kind of a crazy deal, but mentally it was, it was, uh, it was not the easiest. And, and Danny, it wasn't just a 10 year career, obviously like it was a very successful 10 year career. I mean, you used to average, I think over your career about six yards, every time you touch the ball, whether receiving or running the football. And of course, for many fans, you burst onto the consciousness of the average NFL fan when you joined the Patriots Mm-hmm. Um, as a Pats fan, I used to think between yourself, Stephen Ridley, and uh, Shane Vereen, you had your big back, your sub back, and yep. you were like the jack of all trades that could do everything. It was like Cerebrus, the three-headed monster, uh, about to savage the opposition. And and at that time as well, the offense was evolving. You had the two tight end, uh, the two tight yep. end headed monster with Gronk and Hernandez as well. Drifting back to your time in the Patriots and breaking into the NFL scene there, uh, you know, 2010. You know, how did that evolve for you, especially with the hatred between the Jets and the Patriots and being picked up midseason? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I probably joined in a little bit with the hatred. You know, like I wasn't really excited about the Jets after getting fired. Um, I, I, I don't hold it against them because that's that was the that was kind of the plan for my life. And I ended up being like the best thing that could have ever happened to me, because when I was in New York, I didn't feel nothing against them, but I didn't feel like I was used how I should be used. And then we get over to new England and they use me how I felt like I was supposed to be used. So it was kind of a breath of fresh air. It was, a, uh, it was something I didn't know if I didn't know if there was going to be a coach that would, I don't know if I want to say believe in me, but really give me an actual opportunity. Um, and, and new England was a spot and it was, it was an amazing time. It was amazing that, um, they wanted to use my talents instead of just be like, oh yeah, you can be on the team, maybe play a couple special teams, but no, they, they wanted to use me, uh, with the abilities that, you know, I had. And going even forward to 2012, forgetting about the actual result in the Super Bowl, you score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. You see now, doesn't matter what year it is, there's always this big hullabaloo, big, media party like fan party across yeah. the whole event that turns into a whole festival 
as a player, how, how did you find that whole experience? And yeah, regardless of the result, it must have been, you know, when did it hit you that you were playing in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievably surreal. Like, you wa- you've watched the game your whole life, and then it's like, holy crap, I'm involved in Super Bowl week, not involved as in going to it, I'm playing in it. So, like, it was something that was like, wow. And I mean, it was an unbelievable blessing to be able to get to experience that. And, you know, it's funny because people always say, they're like, oh, I'm sorry I brought it up. You, you had a ring, right? And like, no, we, it was the second Giants game. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, I don't care. Like now, like at the time, like, yeah, it sucked. But man, like, number one, I was, I was able to play in the NFL. Like, that's really cool. Number two, I was able to have a long career. Number three, I played in playoff games, which there's a lot of guys that they even play 10 years and never play in a playoff game. And then I got to play in a Super Bowl and I got to score a touchdown. It's like, yeah, would it have been great if we would have won the Super Bowl? For sure. But I got to experience something so cool and like that most most NFL players don't get experienced, let alone just high school and college football players. So, man, I, I thought it was an unbelievable experience to have the touchdown was crazy. I'm looking at the ball right right now that I, uh, you know, scored with like, that's cool. Like, would it be great to have a ring? Sure. But like, it's going to be, it would be dusty just like the football would be. Uh, and as you said, like as you said, you know, most people don't get to to play in the NFL, let alone the, the Super Bowl. But Danny, you you're not the typical size of an NFL player. I mean, with the Patriots, okay, you had Edelman and Welker, so a little yeah. bit of land of the Leapotians. But um, you know, you yourself, I remember it's a, a long time ago now, but you're on the Dan Patrick show and you talked about how you yourself looked in the mirror and you didn't necessarily see an NFL player. But everybody saw you play, saw your stats, saw your production, and thought NFL player. Do you look back now and, and, and now realize the impact that, that you had? Yeah, I mean, it's now I can look back a little bit. And because w- when you're playing, you're not, you're not really thinking about it. You're like, all right, day to day, get ready for practice, get ready for the game. Uh, when the season's over, you're like, you can take a deep breath, but then you're like, I got to get ready for the off-season workouts. I got to do this. I got to do that. Um, It's kind of crazy, though. I mean, now looking back, um, just having 10 years, having a decent amount of touchdowns, having a lot of catches, whatever. It's kind of crazy to think, like, man, that came from the the little kid in North Platte, Nebraska, um, in a small town that went to a Division II school. It is a little bit nuts. And I think what's even crazier now is, so I have a almost five or almost six year old, almost four year old. I have two older than that too, but the almost six year old, almost four year old never experienced um, dad as the football player. And it's kind of funny. And this, and, and I think it's a reminder and maybe because I live in Nebraska, maybe it's just whatever, like people will come up and say, Hey, can I have a picture with you? Yada, yada, yada. And Maisie, my six, almost six-year-old, she goes, dad, were, were they your fans? And it's like, yeah, like, I forget that they didn't really experience that. Uh, whereas my, my two oldest, they experienced, it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. I used to hold them when I was signing autographs at training camp. So like, they're just like, this is stupid. It's just dad stuff. And then the two youngers are like, what? Dad? not famous, but dad was like known a little. So like, I look back on that and that's kind of funny, actually. Danny, you're going to have to introduce them to your highlights packages on YouTube, (laughs) for example, you know, I mean, that's, 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 what's nice, right? Is yeah, we, I can, I can show them stuff. Whereas in the past, I mean, in the eighties, nineties or whatever, it's like, you didn't really have actual film. Now I have YouTube and I can only show them the good film too. Well, well, I mean, actually thinking on that, I mean, in terms of the the good film, I mean, there's a couple of plays. I mean, because of the nature of the player you were, your dynamism, your speed and agility, you got some pretty cool highlight plays. I mean, I can think back to your touchdown against the Colts in 2010. You had that big 36-yard run, 
Theon Branch and Wes Welker blocking for you downfield after you juked about six players and kept yourself upright. You had the, 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 the rocket run. I always called it that against the Jets. You were on third and four and Tom Brady like throws you the ball about quicker. It was like hot potato. Yeah. And you just went for about 40 yards through your former employers, which I'm sure you enjoyed, albeit not the playoff result. Loved it. I'm sure, I'm sure you did. But I mean, did they stand out or is there any particular moment during your career that you kind of relive or remember particularly? It was like, man, that was, that was cool. That was brilliant. Yeah. I, those, those two plays, the one against the Colts, uh, we ran a play called 33 Wham right there. And it was just, I had to make a cutback. And that one, that was a pretty cool run. Cause that was in my first year of like playing, like getting the real opportunity to play. And then the Jets one, yes, that one, that one is stuck in my mind. Um, they were running an over, overload blitz, and we had a – that was actually a, an audible, and that's called uh, Sprint 37, uh, which we called Blade for, for a code name. So I'm giving out code names. Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't play. Um, but, uh, you know, like that one does. There's a the, – the San Diego game where I had four touchdowns um late in the season against the dolphins that one there's there's multiple plays there um and then unfortunately i mean you you remember some of the injuries too because those hurt (laughs) but but as far as as far as plays man i I can't really pick one obviously the super bowl no doubt right like that's gonna be um different things I, i remember in kansas city in 2013 a big play i'm running into the flat two minute drill and before the end of the first half and I turn it into a wheel route, just kind of ad libbing a little and, and Phil throws it in the only spot that he could, but it was behind me and I have to make a, you know, a, I have to leap up, catch it, get my feet down. I mean, but there's so, there's so many there, not, not because of, not because I had so many, but I mean, over 10 years, uh, even my last year in San Diego, week one, we're running, uh, I run a corner out, uh, and all week we were trying to get the coaches to let us run a corner out. They wanted to run some seam route, which was not going to do anything. And Phil and I said, no, it has to be a corner route. It has to be a corner route. It has to be a corner route. And on Friday we run it in practice and it's kind of like, see, like it's going to work. We end up dialing it up on, I don't know, first, second, second and goal. And we're like, we kind of look at each other, like we're going to score. And then we score and him and I are like looking at each other, screaming, almost like we told them, we told them this was what we were supposed to do. And so it's like little things like that, that man, like, was it the greatest play? I don't know if it was the greatest play, but like there was a lot that went into that play. So there, there's a lot of stuff that I remember. And I think I'll always remember. Absolutely. And obviously guys like Balachek, Brady, Gronk, uh, have you any memories of those guys in like the less uh, intense times? We've heard rumors that Brady could chug a beer faster than any lineman, uh, let alone Gronk. Uh, have you ever had a few drinks with Bill? He's quite funny as well, isn't it? Uh, you know, I, I can't say I've sat around with Bill. I can't say that happened. But uh, Brady can. We were in, a, we had, to, there was a bad storm after a Bills game and we had to stay in, I think, Rochester. Brady proved that he could. Um, Gronk, I still remember his rookie year. Him and two, I think it was two other rookies. I'd have them over to my house. My wife would cook them a home-cooked meal because they're rookies. They don't have, you know, they weren't cooking. They were just picking up carryout um, or taking stuff from the facility. So they'd come over, and it's just like Gronk's one of the best dudes, like just lightest, like fun dudes. But, I mean, yeah can he drink some beers for sure? But like, I think people just catch him on camera cause he's not changing. You know, you know what I mean? Like, whereas I think a lot of guys probably have done that, but it's just, they're very cognizant of the camera where Gronk's like, I don't really care, you know? And which is maybe one of the greatest things about him. And, and the fact that he was one of the best teammates too. He was not tight ends these days. Don't love blocking. Gronk would block his face off. So, like, he was an unbelievable teammate. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I had a lot of experiences with Bill because I'd say more around zero. 
Um, but uh, he was uh, he had a good sense of humor still. Like you'd come into some meetings and you're like, oh, Bill's loosening up a little. Um, but uh, I think I think he probably has over the years. And I'm sure he still has. But he's you're still going to get those one word answers from from Belichick. Yes, uh, those those infamous uh, press conferences certainly. Um, Tally, you, you mentioned the, I suppose a couple of times that you 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 started at our, or came from a smaller school in Shadron State, and I think both of your parents went uh, went there yeah. as well. But you had so many firsts. I think the first full athletic um, scholarship uh, from 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 the school, uh, you were like first in all time rushing when you left. Um, we know that you're you're now. You mentioned you're back um, living in Nebraska with the with the family. I suppose what does the the state and Shadron State mean to you when you reflect on it now? You know, I, I think it was just. I want obviously I wanted the opportunity to go to Nebraska. That didn't happen, but Shadron ended up being the perfect place for for me. Um, I had unbelievable teammates. Uh, we had some really good teams. Um, and, and more than anything, I think it's the relationships that you build. I, I mean, with the people you go to school with, or, or, or even if we're talking about the NFL, like it's the, it's the relationships you built. And that's what I'm more appreciative, appreciative of than any football. Um, my, my old, the, my initial head coach, Brad Smith, I still have a relationship with him. His, his son was on the team too. He's now the offensive coordinator at um, Shadron still have a relationship with him um and i think that's the i want them to be very successful without a doubt shattering but i think it's just the the relationships i've built over the years and there's even uh you know uh some some people that you know are a part of the program still or we're just fans that like i still appreciate and that live in shattering and that's the stuff that i'll remember they, they treated me um you know, like I was one of their own, even though I didn't live there. And man, yeah, it, it was four great years. And Nebraska just in, in of itself is is very, uh, I don't know if I want to say precious to me, because that kind of sounds stupid. But it's, it's just very, um, it's very important to me because the people here, uh, I think, reflect, or maybe that's kind of what I am if, if people saw me, I think they'd, they'd see a Nebraskan. And, and that, that makes me proud because it's just we're, we're people that, that care about people um, and, and hopefully are, I'm just a, considered a good dude. I, people are going to say I was a good player, I'm sure. And if they don't, I don't care. Um, but I, I hope more than anything they'd be like, man, I could hang out with him and I really enjoyed him. Danny, you didn't make Nebraska, but I think if I remember rightly, you actually went to their pro day because Chevron State obviously didn't have yeah. a pro day and you ran a 4-3-3, right. which was your, you know, kind of opening to the scouting world at that stage. So, you know, they, you got you got to spend your time in Nebraska still. Oh, for uh, sure. I don't know if they loved that I, because I, I, I had a really good pro day and then it just kind of looks like, well, they, they didn't recruit me. So it kinda, I don't know if it made them look a little bit more dumb, but... It could have, and, and that's okay. Yeah, they're lost, man. They're lost. Yeah, yeah whatever. But, but I'm just thinking, I mean, you've gone Nebraska, uh, New York, Boston, and it's almost like you wanted to do your wife and your family a bit of a favor and say, do you know what? We need a bit of sun. So you I'm go to San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were all over the place. My, my wife, I don't know how many times, she was like, like, when we move, we like do it big. We, we want to go all the way across the country. We don't want to go closer to home. I mean, actually, I wanted to, but uh, the Broncos off, uh, didn't offer me something or the Chiefs, so not excited about that. But uh, I had to go. We, we were just going from coast to coast. And then at the end of my career, we go back to Baltimore. And it's like, holy crap. Like, could we pick something even, I don't know, three states on this side? <laughs> And, and then we, by, by the end, I mean, we had three kids and my wife was pregnant and it's like, gosh, like we couldn't, have, we couldn't have made anything, any, like the move more difficult. Well, I mean, it was certainly difficult, but in the charge, you actually had probably your best year statistically wise in 2015, the connection with Philip Rivers. What were your, 
recollections of that time in San Diego in particular? You know, I think that's, that's where I really came into who I was in my personality. Not I'm saying, so in new England is like, man, I'm just trying to survive. I'm trying to keep a job because I just got fired at the jets and I'm trying to stick around. And I was also young in my career, not as established. So I think once I got to San Diego, it was not like I had made it, but I was more established. People knew who I was. So like my coaches gave me a little bit, how do I want to put it? They, they just, they trusted me and it just felt like when I was there also when I was there, whereas new England's a little bit more buttoned up as everyone knows. Um, San Diego, it was just like, I'm anyone that knows me as I love humor. I love not taking myself serious. And I think San Diego is when I was just letting everyone else know who I was, you know, and, and also it kind of freed me up football wise too. Cause not that I didn't care, but I didn't have as much pressure. I wasn't like, I knew I was going to be there at least for that year. Cause they signed me. And when you get a signing bonus, you're going to be there. Um, so I knew I was going to be there. And then I almost felt like new England started to use me with my talents. And I felt like San Diego just like, opened it all up and they were like no he can kind of do whatever and whereas in new england it's kind of like and they do this with the running backs if you play fantasy football it's like the most frustrating thing in the world but their running backs it's like only for certain times yada 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 whereas san diego is like okay we're gonna let him do this and this and i i ended up being a a third down back a red zone back and i obviously do most of the sub stuff and it just felt like they were using all of my talents instead of like they were using some of my talents in New England. I felt, I felt like San Diego just used everything. And then I had a great relationship with Philip. Not that I didn't have a, not that I had a bad relationship with Tom because I didn't, I was just in different times of my career and in San Diego, I, I mean, I, I had a little bit more input and I wasn't afraid to give input. And it's like, hey, like, I, even with like my running backs coaches, like the, which one of the best coaches I ever had was Ollie Wilson, running backs coach. He just kind of let me be me, and he trusted me with stuff. And it was more like, hey, Danny, what do you think about this? And it was either, yeah, cool, or it's like, that that's not going to work, like, and not in a jerk way, but like, he'd be like, hey, the offensive coordinator said maybe you should push this up you know, two yards. He didn't say maybe it was the offensive coordinator. He's just, I knew it was him. And I, and I'd look at him. I'd be like, I mean, I can do that for you. I go, but I will be covered. So if you want me to push it up two yards, it's going to be a lot easier for them to cover me. I go, I'll do that if you, that's what you want, but I want to get open. And they're like, no, I get it. And, and they gave me the leeway. Um, which I think early on in my career too, Tom kind of, he taught, he talked about that anyways. And sorry about that. Bad, bad uh, headphones there. Um, but he told me, he said, Hey, Danny, like you're no use to me unless you get open. So it was kind of that mindset that I kind of took and I'm like, all right, I'm getting open no matter what. I mean, I'm going to get to the spot. It may look a little bit different, but I'm going to get to the spot and I'm going to get open. In terms of getting open and, and making a few runs, uh, the the later window for us over here, the four twenty five Eastern window, is at like nine o'clock here, and you had a lot of weeks where there was maybe only two or three games happening in the red zone. So, uh, and a lot of times, Danny, you were one of the main guys on TV over here yeah. late at night on on a Sunday night. But uh, we'll, we'll probably try and do one more quick fire thing each year. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Philip Rivers there. Uh, Guys like Julian Adam and Philip Rivers, guys that have really distinguished careers in the NFL, retiring in this offseason. Um, have you any, you know, you know, obviously, what's your thoughts on on those two guys walking away from the game? Have, have you any sort of memories about those guys playing the game that you haven't mentioned already? Yeah, I think I think it's more so just the locker room or like the times we had dinner or that's what I remember. Uh, as far as competitors. I mean, there's not many people. 
I mean, both of them. Julian's a competitor. Uh, Phillips, the craziest competitor, no matter what it is. It could be a locker room game, you know, and um, they both had unbelievable careers. And it's it's kind of crazy now because I'm now getting to the point where I don't have a lot of friends in the NFL anymore. Like it's starting, like everyone's retiring. I, I felt like, you know, not that I, w- I wasn't the last one to retire by any means. Um, but it's like you retire and it's like, oh, yeah, people are still, oh, no, I'm actually getting older. And now all my friends are retiring, too. I have a few, you know, a few friends, but they were younger. And now they're like they're late in their careers, too. And like. So that's kind of crazy. But those guys are unbelievable players and two that I'll definitely remember playing with. I mean, it's, it's been great to, to kind of get to, to know you a little bit and your, your personality a bit more in this. And it's obvious, uh, you know, why you got into to podcasting, given your interest in people and stories and stuff. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Out of Nowhere podcast? Yeah, the Out of Nowhere podcast is me or myself and Matt Sloss and another 10-year NFL vet. Uh, we just decided to do a podcast about football and then people's stories in their life, you know, and uh, because we were both, both our stories came what you would say out of nowhere. Like I was a small town, Nebraska kid. He was a kid that wasn't expected to, to be a big deal or not a big, but like to get to the NFL and we just kind of highlight people's stories. And that's, that's what we talk about. We, we, during the, during the season, obviously we have like a recap, you know, of every NFL game and just cause it's fun. And, we're brutally honest. So we lived it. So there's a lot of people, like if you just watch the, you know, the ESPNs or the whatever, like there, it's a lot of fluff. There's just not a lot of truth. And we call out play. Like, we're like, that's really stupid. You know, like, or like this guy's a savage. He's unreal. And, and we have no problems doing it um, because because we lived it. It doesn't mean we don't like people. It's just like, we're going to be honest about it because I feel like there's some, sometimes there's people that won't talk about it in a very um, honest way in a very football schematic way. So we try to, we try to provide that, but the, the interviews that we also do are just stories from out of nowhere. It could be golfers. It could be football players. We've had a musician on Um, and it's just fun. Like we enjoy it. And, and I think the, the thing that you pointed out more than anything is I just love the relationships I've built. I mean, I've, I've built relationships now off of the podcast, certain people that now I keep in touch with. That's kind of cool. And just uh, the, the intro is absolutely hilarious. You've used <laughs> your kids and I can absolutely attest for, for anyone who hasn't listened to it. Um, the, the honesty and the rawness and the realness is fantastic. Uh, Ryan Pace has certainly got a grilling uh, or, or talked about a few times. And I, yeah. I, I know you're, I found your comments, I suppose, on Jamar Chase and, and what he said about setting these rookie records before he'd even started. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, man. Your insights. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're. It's a lot of stuff that a lot of people just aren't gonna like. Like I said, we're not like jerks about it. Slauson, he'll he'll definitely have a little bit more of an opinion. Maybe I might be a little bit more politically correct, but it most people say like that's not politically correct. But yeah, like Jamar Chase, like I'm sure he's probably a great kid, but someone needs to tell him like, hey let's pump those brakes. Let's not, let's not get out of control. Is he an unreal receiver? Yes. But like you're going in to the NFL where you're playing with grown men with families and they're providing, not everyone's making 10 million. A lot of people are making the minimum, which is still a lot of money, but you could be on a roster off roster on a roster off roster and say those defensive backs that might be covering you. They're doing everything because guess what? They want to make sure that they're there for the next week. So they're there for the next paycheck. You're, you're playing with grown men that are taking care of their families. And it's just a different world. Like everyone thinks they're really good in college. Then you get to the NFL and you're like, holy crap. Like this is like you can do some good things off of raw talent. 
but a lot of it's mental. A lot of it's understanding the game, the schematics, because everyone is good. Everyone. So you have to find a way that gives you an edge. And if that's studying film um, a little bit more to where you know the, you know, the hole to be in in the zone coverage, or if you need to know a tendency on the guy that's covering you, like you have to do that. You, it's just not willy nilly go out and, Oh, football's fun. No, you there's it's work. It's, it's not a, it's not a fun time. And it's, it's fun, but I'm saying like, it's a job in, in order to make plays in order to, you have to go above and beyond where it's in college. It's just like, oh, I'm faster than them. I'm quicker than them. I'm getting open. It doesn't work like that. Well, Danny, your podcast is a lot of fun. The NFL might have been work, but certainly on behalf of Patriots fans and Chargers fans all around Europe and Ireland in particular, I want to say you made it look a lot of fun and made it a lot of fun at times during your career. Um, and we just want to say, look, thank you so much for your time and sharing your insights, your journey, your experiences with us today. Really appreciate your time. And you need to get over for the Nebraska game, man. And we'll, we'll take care of you with golf and Guinness. They have two uh, oh, golf hey, and Guinness. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there. As, 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 long, as, long as, I'm, as long as I'm invited, I'll be there. But, hey, I appreciate that. Um, if it looked like I had fun, that's good because I, I had a blast. Um, I, I gave it all I had for 10 years until it was like, no more. Let's, let's not put this body through anything else. So I appreciate that. Danny, thanks a million, man. Thank you.